This week's episode is brought to you by Reply Guys. The Avs have gotten 13 of impossible 14 points the last two weeks, pals. Perfectionism can wait. Let's have some fun. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Stephanie Locking to Burnaby Radio for April 1st, 2019. Coming up on the show, Macar Watch is heating up, and there's only one week left to play before playoffs. But before for the roof, your disembodied voices for the week are the same as last week. What's going on, Earl? Hello, friends. And how are you, Jackie? Wonderful. On Sunday, and before you heard last week's show, the Avs lose in overtime 2-1 to the Chicago Blackhawks. They looked like poo in most of this game, and we might talk about why, but that was a while ago, so we may not. Alexander Kerfoot scored the goal. Colorado came back home on Wednesday and took a 4-3 win over the Vegas Golden Knights, who've been struggling badly lately without goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury. Matt Calvert, Nathan McKinnon, Tyson Berry, and obviously Gabriel Bork scored for the Avs. The shot and Corsi totals were a little deceptively lopsided as it kind of looked like Vegas shot pretty much everything once they were behind, but 29 shots between the second and third periods, still kind of a lot. Finally on Friday, the Arizona Coyotes come to a town for a massively consequential game in the playoff race and the Avs come away with the win, 3-2, although it did take a shootout to get it done. McKinnon and Derek Broussard gave the Avalanche a 2-0 lead, which they sat back in the third and blew, giving up 20 shots. But the only goal scorer in the shootout was McKinnon, because neither team had anybody capable of scoring goals, I guess. Both Arizonas came from Oliver ekman Larson. You should go check out Nate's shootout goal if you haven't seen it yet, though, because it was just filthy. Yeah. And that brings us it to was. where we sit today. Colorado have 85 points, which at the time was three up in the playoff race. A very healthy margin with four games to play. Arizona and Minnesota have 82 and 81 respectively, and they play each other this afternoon, which kind of sucks because someone has to win that game. It'll start toward the end of us recording this episode, but we're not going to wait for them to finish. So the Avalanche have either a one or two point lead in the playoff race when you hear this show. The magic number is six due to various tiebreakers, but if Minnesota beat Arizona, it will have dropped to five. So we're in the uncomfortable position as Avs fans today of rooting for Minnesota in regulation. It's sad, but true. <laughs> I feel dirty already. I don't. Playoffs are way more important than the one of the worst rivalries in hockey. <laughs> so how are we feeling after this week? Like, that's, that's, that's six points out of six, or five points out of six. That's pretty good. I feel good about their position. I feel less good about how they're arriving there. Um... You know, we're seeing a lot of sitting on leads lately and, and doing, you know, exactly what it takes to get things done. But, um, you know, if you're looking for entering the playoffs on sort of a strong note, um, you know, that, that that remains to be seen over the, the next week, how they play. Maybe, you know, maybe they can sort of jumpstart how they've been going about their business and, and enter the playoffs with a a little bit of swagger, but, um, you know, they're, they're being resilient rather than good right now. 
That's a good way to, to put it. Resilient rather than good. I think as Avs fans, we're used to the way they've been winning, which is kind of sad, but it feels like a very familiar place. And for that reason, I do feel like they're still positioned pretty well. They're definitely positioned well because they're in a playoff position with a game advantage. Plus, well, after today, they'll have a, a game advantage with a game in hand. So, um, And it is annoying they can't get any separation. But just to remember, they were about five points out like two weeks ago. So yeah. it it is incredible that they've even climbed back, especially to the, into the driver's seat. It's taken a combination of unlikely avalanche wins and Arizona and Minnesota both just imploding at the same time. Yes, exactly. They haven't grabbed anything either. Yeah, and it's so. it's interesting the the parallel to last year that the coach Bednar has mentioned several times over the past few weeks is that they went two five and one in their final stretch last year and you know, one of those two wins was quite large. If, if we remember correctly, the last day of the season, they beat St. Louis. Um, so, I, I mean, I sort of look like it. They're probably going to do just barely enough to get in again. Um, so that's sort that's sort of their lot in life as, I hope as it, built. I hope it does not come down to the last game against San Jose and, Selfishly, because I can't watch that one live, but also just because <sighs> counting on doing anything against San Jose, even if they aren't in a position to care about much, is I think that's asking a lot. But this, especially in San Jose, yeah. Right. But this team in the position they're at right now, they have points up on. Minnesota and Arizona, it shouldn't come down to the last game. They, If they play even reasonable over the last week, they should have it locked up by that last game at least. Yeah. So let's that's go, what we hope. That's definitely what we hope. <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the Avs' remaining schedule. Because um, on Monday, they're in one of their least hospitable buildings, which, as I wrote this up, I wrote hospital buildings, apparently. <laughs> That could be that too. <laughs> the Avs are in one of their least hospital buildings. Um, they're in one of their least hospitable buildings at St. Louis to take on the Blues. And then they're back home on Tuesday against the Edmonton Oilers, who will also be on a back to back themselves. That's what we call the sledge game. On Thursday, Colorado welcome the Winnipeg Jets. And then finally on Saturday, they go to their definitely least hospitable building in San Jose for the ultra late start game to game 82. Um, that will be the last game of the NHL regular season. I don't know if there's any other Saturday 7.30 Pacific starts, but Colorado I got think one. it is the last. I, I do yeah. think it is the last game. That's, um, that's California. Kind of start at 730. It is, it is for opponents that haven't been kind to them. Edmonton, for as terrible as they are, is usually a tougher game because they get so easily sucked into the track meet with Edmonton. And yeah, but I was defense. reading online today that Koskinen has a problem with his glove hand. It, they should have known hands. this the other times they played Edmonton and didn't beat them. Koskinen is not yeah. good enough for the contract they gave him. This is known. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, 
they this if if you look you know looking at this week maybe you know a, a month or three months ago you're looking at it like that's a really tough week i mean those are just teams that we have big time problems with but <clears throat> i i'm not that i'm not as worried as maybe i should be about you know at least the first three games um just because you know winnipeg has kind of been bogus lately they're they're kind of locked into wherever they are and not playing that great. Uh, I think when the chips are down, the Blues can choke pretty easily, and I just think in a sludge game, being at home, you have the slightest of advantage, and the Avs can take care of that and in the same way that they've been taking advantage of having very slim leads lately. I'm not as worried because of how they're playing, and maybe it's mostly Grubauer, but he's hot. He's in the zone. So if if you if you have that advantage to ride, uh, it puts the Avs in favorable position. I think until it stops. So that could be this week. Yeah, <laughs> or or maybe we'll continue on. Yeah, we, we really can't say enough about how well Philip Grubauer has played, especially the last week, but really over this month of March. Um, there, there, we, there was a lot of goaltending issues like earlier in, in the season that really tanked the Avalanche positioning, but Philip Grubauer has absolutely clawed this team back into the playoff picture. So um, I think he was third star of the week last week, which is maybe not high enough. Like, this dude's making some saves. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, it, it's hard not to vote Mac for our heart trophy nominee, but, you know, it, it's, if the Avs end up making the playoffs, the, I, I mean, you'd have to at least think that, that Grubauer was maybe a bigger part of that. I would disagree because it is still a small sample size, even if it's, at a really critical time, but there's no way you could give him the heart, especially for the whole season. But no, I mean like our, the Avalanche heart, like most. No, no, no. I mean, I mean the Avalanche heart too. Yeah. Like there's, you. Can... I mean, do you think do you think the Avs are in this spot if Varley had been playing all these games? If he'd been playing well, sure. Well, you, I think if someone comes up and and takes your 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 wallet and then they give it back to you, do you thank him? <laughs> <laughs> you're probably just so glad you have it back. You would. But you're not like but... going to give this person an absolute generosity award for giving you your wallet back. Krubar <laughs> definitely deserves the credit. Like, n- nothing taken away from him, especially. I think maybe he got more at the attention and the credit when the rest of the team was playing better. But th- like this last week, you certainly have to give him the bulk of the credit and nothing to take away from that. But I, I don't think anyone's like, you're not going to give the heart to Barry either because no, he's had a good three weeks. So he's really stepped up with the scoring without uh, in the absence of Gabe Landeskog, but yeah, absolutely. the group hour has been stepping up for every minute of every game in, in the absence <laughs> yeah. of useful defending. So. Yeah. And one one thing I wonder is if some of the some of the turtling that we've been seeing over the past few weeks is you know is due to the fact that the the def, you know playing in the defensive zone the Avs trust him 
such that they're okay with being a little safe. Um, and we know safe is death and, and that's kind of how they're playing right now. But um, it's, it's almost like it's a, it's a hallmark of avalanche hockey to fall back into that. I think it feels familiar. It's like what everyone's used to. It's like the goal goaltenders are supposed to stand on their head. Like we know logically it's not great to turtle and get shelled, but it, it just feels right. It feels right <laughs> <laughs> to see it happen and walk away with wins. Like when it, when it was happening, when their Corsi was wonderful and they were losing and the goaltending was crappy. It just didn't feel right. This feels right. If spending time in the offensive zone is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> this is the avalanche way to wave the middle fingers and get into the playoffs. And we're all along for the ride. They sure had me doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, you know... It, this style of play is just absolutely frustrating. Like, you know, starting off with the second Chicago game this week, they sat on a tie. <laughs> and th that's just horrifying to me. Like, yes, I know that point is very important. And then, you know, getting the two points that they got the night before. Okay. You know, it's like you, you come out of that weekend with three points, then Chicago's basically done. Um, I just I, th I think it's settling to some degree, and I just I didn't like that at all. And I, I I'm not sure how much is the coaching staff encouraging it, and and how much is on the players for you know being a little tentative or safe in the defensive zone. And you know it, it's kind of hard to parse that out, but it's obvious that they just they are not able to develop any pressure offensively when they're in this mode. And I think once you get into the turtle mode for about five or six minutes that you just, you can't get out of it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Well, at that point it's just, yeah. it's so hard to exit the zone because there's so much pressure and you've been on the ice for so long. So the problem is it usually takes two to successfully exit the zone at that point. So even if the defenseman does his job right and gets the puck to a forward, they still have to complete the the 50 feet or whatever to get out of the zone. And then that's sometimes asking for a lot. And then it yeah. goes back. And a lot so of times, you know, they'll they'll do a chip out and, you know, that's you know, Nemeth is really good at icing the puck, of course, but he's also a master of the chip out. And, you know, generally when teams are, you know, when they're encountering a defensive setup like this, they know that the puck's just going to be chipped out and the defensemen sit, you know, between the red line and their own blue line and they just sit there and it drops right in their lap and they can reload right away. It's, it's basically it's an intentional turnover. Yeah. Right, it's almost worse that way. It's like the cleared but not out. It's like, yeah. sure, in theory, for like half a second, the puck is moving further away from the net, but then what you're getting giving them is a reloader set, which is kind of worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, or it, uh, it's just really frustrating, to, especially when they play that way in the second period when they start getting filled a little bit. If they're 
whether they're playing with the lead or not, they when they start to face a lot of shots, the Avalanche have a very strong tendency to just start playing conservative. Um, kind of that bend-don't-break kind of mindset, which is a, just a good way to find out what your breaking point actually is. But when you got the long change in the second period, that chip out doesn't even change your forwards, you know? Like, that's how you end up on the ice for two and a half minutes against San Jose. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> I, you know, it, 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 it sounds like it's not something that Jared Bednar wants to see or is comfortable with because after the Coyotes game, he was asked about it and he's like, well, I, you know, I, I see problems with the breakout not working and, um, you know, the, the chipping out isn't working and, you know, we, we need to do something about that. And it's, you know, that's great coach, but it's been happening for weeks and it's, you know, it's not getting better. So, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering what they've got in the arsenal to combat this. Cause it's just, you know, like Jackie says, this is avalanche hockey. It's been like this for a decade. So how are they going to fix this? A lot of it is in personnel. They have defenders who aren't very good at leaving the zone. They have one yeah. who is very good at leaving the zone. And against Arizona, he had a pretty poor game. Um, but that leaves us with, you know, five players who sometimes Zadorov can skate it out, but he doesn't always seem to choose to do that. Sometimes he'd rather just dump it behind him, behind his own net for some reason. Please stop that. <laughs> um, but on the, on the rare occasion that Sam is off, the, the defenders need someone to pass to. Like, even Barry, when he's trying to, to pull it, to take it out of the zone on his own, will often turn it over in the neutral zone. So the forwards would yeah. rather just kind of leave and go look for the stretch pass. Right, it's it's really frustrating when when the defenseman, like I said, he has control of the puck and he makes the pass, and it the forward should be able to complete it at that point. And so many times, the forward loses the puck, or the for the blue line, or right after, or they're eighty five feet away. <laughs> then, yeah, I mean, if and that and, doesn't help either. Yeah, I mean, if you exit the zone and turn it over three feet over the blue line. That really isn't helpful. I mean, that's you know that that's almost worse than chipping it out to the defenseman, you know, slightly behind that. It's even easier for the opponent to reload then. Because if you just but, chip it I, out, I mean, I realize it's hard. I mean, the other team really wants to score. They're really putting forecheck pressure on. So it's you know, it's not like this is something you can just sort of you know try harder and solve. Um, but they yeah, do I need a, a better plan for that. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. If if they need to change their breakout or what yes. they're trying to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure do. it would help if they had more defensive puck skill. But that's kind of a, a decade long ask, even though it's No. We're we're inching there. Inching <laughs> I don't know there. about a decade, maybe like two weeks. Um, <laughs> well, but- it's just they could still have more puck skill there, but it's certainly not. It's definitely not the age of like Zanin, right? And Boschman. We still we definitely have defense. Yeah, that can that could do it. But what what can they do in the next week? I guess you would hope maybe some sort of idea on the breakout when they're getting a lot of pressure. But I think also like what Earl said, once you get in that hole, it's really hard to get out of it. So. Probably the better idea is don't get in the hole. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I really do think you get in that bunker mentality after a few min- minutes of doing this, and it's just—it's impossible to have a shift 
where you're not, you know, jumping on the ice and immediately in your own zone and you take 30, 40 seconds to get out and you have to change. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I hate seeing when they finally get the puck out and they have to dump it and it's immediately coming back the other way. But it's just like, I mean, you have to change. You can't mm-hmm. just go in there and start forechecking when you're 45 seconds into a shift. But I mean, the the dump is like the best outcome out of out of what we've talked about so far because you've you've still got your your chip out. Which if you chip it out, at least you still got five players in front of the puck. But if you do yeah. that whole carry it sort of out and then turn it over at the other blue line, and it's already headed back to your zone, your entire team's out of position. So cause yeah. they're, they're scrambling to the boards, and now all of a sudden there's seven avalanche skaters on the ice, and <laughs> yeah, that too. And they are killing another penalty. Yeah, I mean, I I think part of it is you know they they really depend too much on the walls um, to break out, and they do this for lots of things, not just breaking out, but zone entries and some of their problems in overtime. Um, it's just like they don't realize that the boards are basically a free sixth defender for your opponent, and if you attack the middle, it it causes more chaos and and it opens up more space now. Now, it also makes it a little more dangerous if you do turn it over. So, I mean, you know, there are some drawbacks, but I mean, I think they've got to take the chance there. It's like EJ in overtime when he skated toward the boards. It was like, no! Oh, don't go over there, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> just what they want happened. you to do. <laughs> and then they squeezed him out over there, got the puck. <laughs> I wish I understood the avalanche overtime because it's <laughs> when they're you know when they're even especially when they're leading it's like they refuse to take a shot unless it's like the shot or Tyson Berry that that's the avalanche well, mindset the... in the regulation but you get into overtime you cross the blue line and it's bombs away what yeah no it's just, it it doesn't <sighs> I mean the. The, the one positive thing about the, the overtime versus the dogs was that they didn't make that one big error that They've they usually do. They've been playing it more that, defensively, yeah. I don't know if they were doing that, but it just, they didn't, they didn't screw up as bad. You know, they didn't have Mac, you know, dog it on the way home and, you know, all kinds of things like that. They didn't have any bad changes, things like that. They didn't have McKinnon and Kerfoot both try to get into a board battle. Yeah, um, you know, it's like the, sort of the, the Z turnover was really bad, but, you know, it's like he got it back. And, you know, th- there were various other things like, you know, heading to the wall and bury shots and things like that. Those are all bad things, but they weren't the, the just unforgivable errors that usually end up in losing the game. And after that block that Confer made after, after the Z turnover, I hope Z bought him something nice. Yeah. <laughs> that was a slap shot in the belly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, as far as overtimes go, I I thought that was actually fairly impressive as a stepping stone forward. You know, not making the really bad errors that lose the game because you know it's like I think they probably had a better chance, you know, in the shootout than they did trying to score because they just they they have no clue that the only way you score in overtime is two on ones with a weak side pass, you know. Nope, you have to skate over the blue line and immediately take a low percentage shot. Yep. <laughs> low percentage shots are where it's at, man. <laughs> uh, 
But while we're talking about special situations, it we've complained about the power play a lot on this show, and it's really been coming through in the clutch for us this week. So let's give it credit too. That yeah. having Miko, it's definitely been. Uh, it's good that they've been able to score without Miko. Yeah, Miko ran and it's still out. Still uh, no timeline that we're aware of. Although he was kind of hilariously out on the ice today. In uh, poor Miko. He's in just a bizarre outfit but okay <laughs> it's not every day you see a star winger on the ice in tennis shoes knee socks and shorts but whatever yep <laughs> it must be killing him to be out i'm sure nobody enjoys being out but you know when you you go out on the ice in shoes <laughs> <laughs> you you're really missing it i'm sure so it, it seems like skating is the big issue with him because we've seen him walking around and there's pictures of him giving autographs and he went to one of the the charity things with the kids, but he wasn't able to go on the ice. So I think maybe the safe hypothesis at this point is a hip injury, something where he, they really don't want him on the ice until he's pretty close. So, and who knows how long that would be. Maybe it's only a couple weeks. So, you know, just be hopeful at this point. We're definitely in the time of the year where we're not going to get any, any help from anyone telling us what's going on. So definitely. No, but Gabe information is bad. Yeah. Gabe Landeskog did return against Arizona and had a really nice little setup on that power play goal that McKinnon scored. So. Yeah, he did, and that it was, was nice you know, to have back. Yeah, that was nice. Um, I, I've noticed with the power play lately, and this is even before Gabe came back. But um, they haven't been consistent, but they have had some good shifts. You know, um, I forget which game it was this week, but they had two power plays. One was really bad, but one was really good. They developed a, a whole bunch of scoring chances. Um, didn't capitalize, but. You know, there seemed to be some urgency to get the puck to the net that we don't often see. Um, But, you know, I mean, I I like Max goal a lot. I think, you know, Broussard is... Broussard on that play is doing exactly what they got him to do and and probably the only thing he's worth having for. And that was power Um, play, too. And I know he'd been on the first unit for a little while, but for anyone that know that that was a power play two goal so that certainly helps when your second unit can chip in and i agree that there's very specific things that broussard can do well well and one of them yeah i mean that you know he's good you know he's he's obviously not very good defensively um empty net goal accepted but yeah i think i think putting him on the top line was just a disaster and you know, maybe that's not his fault that he's not good enough anymore for the top line, but you can't just default to putting him up there because because of his age or because you traded for him or whatever. But um, with him now going back down into a bottom six line, who bottom knows? Bottom three. <laughs> yeah, well, he was on the fourth. Yeah, he was on the fourth line in the last game. We'll see if that holds or not. But um, well, his time I on think, ice has been sort of yeah. tenth ish. Yeah, I think that's a better spot for him. Yeah. And he could probably be more effective there. 
And then yeah. obviously now he's chipped in two power play goals. So th- just that is good, I guess, to say that you got two power play goals from him. But and they were both were second unit. I think his his first one was when he was still in the second unit. So that right there is exactly what you need. But the rest hasn't been so pretty. Yeah, he's not going to pay dividends for you in the, the defensive zone. Um, nope. He's really just not that useful a guy, other than you know doing what he does on the power play and. It, it, I, I mean, I I think the more situations like that you can get them into, the the more you're going to get out of them. So they should kind of focus on that. I agree. I always don't like it when the first unit takes a minute and a half and the second unit gets 20 seconds. Then you say, well, that's why they're the second unit. And it's like, yeah, I get that you want to try to win the game with your stars, but when you don't have Miko anymore, it's like it just it, it's not helping anyone to just run that first unit out for so long. Yeah, I, I think Wilson it, on the half wall on the first unit. <laughs> that yeah. was fun, huh? I think they even threw McKinnon on the second unit. I almost I want to say that they did that in Arizona, which hey, that's a good idea too. I mean, rather than just totally burning out the first unit if you can just put mckinnon on the second one then you're still getting another look and you're also having your most talented player on the ice as well which it's a good compromise i think yeah i like i mean we've seen this a you know from time to time this year that mac will be the first guy off of power play one he'll rest and then you know on the next clear or something like that um the whole unit will swap out and he will go back on with the second unit. And I think that's, you know, if you give him 15, 20 seconds of rest and allow him to go out with the easier matchups, that's, you know, that, that's something that could be pretty beneficial. Could be. So we've also seen the return this week of Matt Nieto. And it seems like he hasn't really missed a step, so that's good. Yeah. There's one break we had, and the hands just he did, couldn't quite get the puck, and it was like, oh, yeah. you yeah. wish the the rust wasn't there, but but otherwise, yeah, he's been even still. That's kind of Matt Nieto, like he's a yeah. <laughs> he's a kind of skilled player, but you're not going to expect him to go 100 percent on breakaways. Well, I think I'm the sure nice he's... thing, uh, the first game back, um, which was against Vegas, um, I was betting that he would be back with Carl Soderberg within minutes of the game starting, Me too. but. They kept him on the fourth all game, and the nice thing about it was is that he was able to sort of shepherd Agazino and and Bork along and make that sort of a viable unit that could eat up some minutes and, and keep everybody a little bit fresher. So, um, you know, he still ended up playing, I think, four minutes with Carl, something like that. You know, so they were they were able to, you know, transition his role a bit, and you know. I, it just shows that when you have someone that can play hockey pretty well on their on your fourth line and, and you can use it as a real line and it kind of helps out with everybody else's you know, conditioning and feeling towards the end of the game. Because, I mean, that was the one game this week where the turtle wasn't really that bad. <clears throat> um, you know, maybe that's just coincidence, but it just it seemed like the fact that those guys were able to play regular shifts and it just left everyone a little bit fresher. If they can ever get to a point where Nieto and Calvert are on your fourth line, then they're really getting somewhere. Because I think those two guys 
would give you a like a luxury fourth line, but we're not yeah, there I, yet. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think the line with when uh, in the uh, Coyotes game when it was Nieto and Calvert and Jost centering them, yeah, that was a really good line for a bottom six line. It's like if you had that with say you know like Kamenev or Bowers or someone next year as your fourth line center. Um, you know, that, that's something that you could play, you know, seven, eight, nine, maybe in 10 minutes a night if you needed to, and really allow everybody else to get great matchups and be fresh at the end of the game. So that's kind of a lot on, uh, you know, how the Avs have won their games the last week, week and a half. But, uh, what's, what's coming up this week is... You know, pretty. It's the last week of the season, so Colorado need at least five, maybe six points as of right now to guarantee their spot. As the week goes on, that number may change depending on what happens with Arizona and Minnesota. But let's just kind of look at it, sort of one game at a time, and and think about maybe what they need to do to get through this week and uh, and survive into the postseason. So we have uh, on Monday we're in St. Louis, which is a building where the Avalanche lose often against a St. Louis Blues team who's been way better in the second half than they were in the first. They've won six of their last ten games. Um, they've kind of got that... People were, were accusing them of having a dead cat bounce earlier in the season, but it's pretty clear now that the coaching change was definitely needed over there. Yeah. And that was something everybody saw before the season started. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I you know, as much as I hate the Blues, i got to hand it to them. They've you know, they they sort of took it in the nuts in the in the early season after firing Yo and installing Baruby. It took him a while to get his system down and, and sort of play with his personnel and, and find out who worked where he wanted them. And you know, pretty much since the the turn of the, the new year, uh, they've been very good. And a hot goalie helps. And that that was the that was the key piece. I mean, it's like you know they weren't winning enough. I mean, they were you know they were much better than they were under Yo, obviously, and and much better than when they first started out after the coaching change. But you know, it's like once Bennington really started playing well, that's you know that's when they started making a lot of noise. Yeah, who is this Bennington cat? Where'd he come from? He's in the AHL. He wasn't even the goalie of the future. So I've never even heard of this guy. I can't even tell you. Yeah, he he if he was real the NHL goalie who didn't play for the Rampage last year. So you know, it's like we we're not familiar with him. You know, as far as what getting to watch him every night. It, it's like a goalie just walked out of the primordial ooze and won like a dozen games in a row for the Blues. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like exactly what Francis would have done if they put him in in December. Definitely true. <laughs> Completely factual. <laughs> there can be no argument. Hey, the uh, HL goalie bounce is a real thing, though. But <laughs> so that, um, that's a tough matchup for the Avalanche under the best circumstances. It is um, with them still being a little bit depleted to injury, both from players that are not in their roster and players that are. Um, you know, Monday's a tough match. Yeah, I mean. It, I'd, I'd say out of all four games this week, this is probably the most likely loss. 
and that only has to do with the fact that that the the final game uh, should be sort of carefree for San Jose. Um, <clears throat> you know, the Avs just for whatever reason they don't match up well with St. Louis, and you know it. it I think what they can take is sort of what they did in the final game of last year and sort of use that as the, the Gipper speech for this game. <laughs> Roll with it. Well, we, we know the Blues feel like they have some unfinished business from, from last season with the Avalanche. I think they love to have this game. Um, yeah. And also, I think they would probably prefer not to let Dallas catch them, which is... Yeah. They have a little bit of breathing room, but not just a lot. St. Louis have clinched their playoffs, but I think they'd rather match up with whoever um, sucks more between Nashville and Winnipeg rather than um, whoever sucks less. I think they even have a chance of passing Nashville and Winnipeg. Now, probably would take a lot, but it's it's still on the table. Yeah, they haven't. They're not like locked into third in the division by any means. They could they could still win the Central despite being almost out of the playoffs in November. Which is bananas. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, I think that speaks to how mediocre the, the Jets and the Preds have been lately, but yeah. Yeah, the whole West. Because like, with, with the way that the, the race is set out now, it's pretty clear that the Avalanche are trying to hang on to a spot to play Calgary. There's nobody catching Calgary. Um, San Jose are the closest, and they're falling pretty fast. And... Nashville and Winnipeg are just just kind of there. Yeah. No, nobody seems to actually want the second wild card opponent for some reason. And I think Vegas is 100% locked into third in that division. Pretty much. They had a chance earlier in the in the month where they were just on fire um, to catch San Jose, but then they haven't had Mark Andre Fleury for about a week and a half, and they have lost a lot of games. Yeah. Malcolm Subban is. I'm not. I'm not sure if he's quite an NHL goalie. No. Good. No. I mean, (laughs) when when you have Calvert and Bork shoot the puck in on you, that is not a good sign. Not great, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) But to to even you know reach this point as a a guy of his size is pretty impressive, but. He's a little over his head in the NHL. Um, so that, that's that's where Vegas have kind of lost their momentum. Is Mark Andre Fleury's been a little bit injured and a little bit new dad, so he's been spending some time away from the team. Yeah. Colorado will come home on Tuesday and play Edmonton. Um, they're traveling from St. Louis. Edmonton are traveling from Vegas, so it's not like one team's crossing the country and the other isn't. Um, it's just a matter of Edmonton is a pretty bad and Colorado is only kind of bad. Yeah, th- this yeah. is the one they have, they have to win this one if, if they want to give themselves any, I don't even want to say breathing room because we don't know, but just keep themselves in any sort of favorable position because you do have to beat a bad team at home, even though, like I said earlier, you worry about it because they love to get sucked into the track meet with Edmonton trying to outskill them and then defense goes out the window and it could be bad, but they should be able to beat this team at home. You have to do it. Yeah. And 
you know, they'll have a little bit of an advantage from playing earlier the night before, sleeping in their own beds, yada, yada, yada. Um, I just, you know, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's like, it, if you lose this game, you might not deserve to, to really be in the playoffs. <laughs> How many times um, have you said that? <laughs> Too many. There's... If next week's show is a post-mortem, we're going to have a lot of points like that to look back at and go, damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thursday, Colorado take the Winnipeg Jets. I, think... I just, I'm not worried about this game. Um, the word, I, I, I want to go I... ahead and just kind of announce something real quick. The world, word that Earl used while we were talking before the show to describe Winnipeg was bogus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Explain. They just. <laughs> I. I mean, with with where they are in the standings, it's you know it, it's not incredibly surprising. They're just sort of treading water. But I mean, it's the th- they don't seem like big bad Winnipeg. I, I noticed they got Bufflin back from IR today, so that's probably going to change a little bit. But. Um. You know, I, I noticed, like, I forget if it was Sean Tierney or Micah saying um, Winnipeg basically does nothing good except shoot right now. And that's something we know. But, you know, where, where they tend to overwhelm the Avs is, is sort of getting into the physical fake tough game. And that's something they really haven't had a lot of lately. Yeah, I know they haven't played well, but I and I know that the Avs had a couple successful games against them recently but yeah and and this one's at home so that helps but i don't know i i still don't like how they match up against winnipeg i hate watching games against winnipeg because when winnipeg was bad they were just dreadfully boring and now that winnipeg is good they're just infuriating to watch yeah because of the whole fake tough thing that the Earl just mentioned, I and mean, there's there's some real tough in that team, but there's also some you know, real. I the only word I have for it is bad faith acting going on out there. It's like they're just <laughs> they're, they're going to do the dirtiest shit in the world to you, and then as soon as you touch them, they're whining for a call. That's Winnipeg and and diving and you know that and you know it's like they're really poorly coached, so it's you know it's like their talent has to do stuff like that instead of just you know just be talented all the time. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have a lot of worries about this game. I, I, you know, I think if it's really, if it's really a situation where Arizona or Minnesota or both are still breathing down the Avs neck on Thursday night, I, you know, I think they can pull it out. And then finally game 82 is at 10 30 Eastern in San Jose. Yeah, that that one's that one's just impossible to really predict. It's I mean, like the last game on the schedule. Everything should be wrapped up, or everything should be known at least. And who knows how much San Jose is going to care? Like, if anyone's going to rest this week, it'll be then. Um, Honestly, San Jose could start resting players as early as Tuesday or Wednesday. They're six points behind Calgary and six points ahead of Vegas. Like they're not moving. Yeah, yeah, and they have I a just... bunch of older gentlemen on their team that that could use some. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I just uh, 
It's just so hard to think about that one and try to characterize what that game's going to be. I mean, they have Hopefully a terrible Hopefully it's goalie. not stressful. <laughs> I just, I, I think, you know, with, with sort of a laid-back attitude, bad goalie, I mean, they might, I don't know. They, they probably won't even put Jones in that game, so we'll, we'll get the curse of the backup. But still, I just, you know, I, I don't see the Avs having... You know, I, I see that game as, as winnable if the Avs are willing to take the step to do it. Yeah, it, like, it's going to depend on them. It it's not going to depend either. on San Jose playing well. Yeah, the, I don't want to characterize it as easy, though. I don't want to say that the Avs should just be able to just take the two points. They're, they're definitely no, going to have to earn it. It's going to depend on them more than it's going to depend on San Jose. Yeah. yeah. Well, San Jose have been really on the struggle bus lately. They have won three of their last 10 games and this has been a stretch that's gone back a little bit farther than that um their their fan base are a little bit tiny bit concerned about the first round of the playoffs being against vegas um who have had the opposite trajectory before mark andre Fleury left um san jose are just a team that are really ripe to be beat right now so if there's ever a game in san jose that colorado are gonna win that's gonna be it like you may be facing ahl san jose well, see, that's the problem, is vet apathy is easier to beat than kids coming up and trying to leave an impression. Yeah, so there, there is that angle, too. So the, the question finally becomes, then, will that game matter? Because up to that point, um, Arizona and Minnesota play each other. Like, like we said earlier, they play each other today. Um, and then Arizona has L.A. and are at Vegas. And then Minnesota has Winnipeg and Boston both at home. So at that point, I just, it's pretty easy to picture Minnesota being basically done. They have the toughest road for sure. Just even just points wise that the fact that they're behind both Arizona and Colorado hurts well, them a lot. And we don't know today they won't be. Yeah. But like we said earlier, we're in the position of, of rooting for Minnesota today because that drops the abs magic number. Because that's fun. <laughs> it's t- it's uh, tough because I think in general Arizona's played better, but it's I just still f- find a hard time taking the threat seriously. Like I take them as they're in the position, they've earned it. It's legitimate and all that, but just the threat of losing out in the playoffs to Arizona, it just seems like something <laughs> the Avs should be able to overcome. I mean, it's not like this team has had a lot of success in, you know, the, the high pressure, pressure situation, being able to clinch. They haven't been playing that great recently either, but... It's just it'd be what you'd be understandable if the Avs lost out, like say last year to St. Louis. You can't lose out to Arizona. I'm sorry, you just can't. <laughs> well, game eighty two for those clubs, if it, if it matters. I mean, th- those games will not be over before Colorado starts, but well, Minnesota's might be kind of close because Arizona have Winnipeg at home to end the season. I I am fine with Winnipeg just going three and zero to end the season. Like, sure, they beat Colorado, but they also beat Arizona and Minnesota, and that's almost more important. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so and, that's true. Everyone gets Winnipeg, so we'll see. We'll see what... 
if they really are bogus, then that doesn't help us. So. <laughs> and then Minnesota in the year um, in Dallas, which is a back-to-back for Dallas. We'll see if they have anything to play for. Yeah. Yeah, because Dallas could clinch as early as like today or tomorrow, whatever the next game is. I'm not sure where the next game is, but if if they play like whatever the next game is, they can clinch. Um, it's just so tough to forecast motivation because you can see on paper some if teams have something to play for or not, but there's also the internal motivation. If you want to beat a rival, you want to set yourself up for the postseason. If if you're playing a lot of kids, that might have motivation from them but then there's also a lot of times where they really do pack it in yeah that, yeah i mean they could you know they, they might need that game and and they could you know perhaps overtake st louis or they might have want to be trying to avoid either the abs or whoever is in the, the eighth spot at that point um this is know. just the time of the year when beating anyone shouldn't surprise you guys shouldn't surprise you because it's a crazy league, but really, like, if Ottawa can't beat Tampa, or if Tampa Bay can't beat Ottawa, <laughs> this should drive you crazy. The LA but Kings also, it are shouldn't five, surprise four, and one you. In their last ten, like this time of year, any yeah. weird yeah. things happen. They're rolling. And I'm one six them. of their last ten. <laughs> like this league is a disaster right now. With with, with like everyone has won. Either four or six of their last ten games, four, five, or six. There's, there's basically nobody who's won more than that. There's basically nobody who's won less than that, except Buffalo and Minnesota. So, do we have a tragic number for Ottawa clinching the bottom spot? I, I yeah, don't get into the that. tragic number, but they, I think it's two games. Like if they, Ottawa are five two points, points or back. four they have points. They're five points back. They have four games remaining, which means if they lose two games, yeah, then they're done, done, done. That's it. Yeah. Okay. If so that's that's a, a tragic number of four. Yeah. If if they win, um, oh, okay. By if they lose two games in regulation, if they get two wins and an overtime loss, um, then. They are gonna overtake LA because of the row tiebreaker. Okay, so that yeah that that would be a that would be a tragic number of four. Yes. So any combination of win, you know, two wins or two losses by or two losses or two wins by LA, and and we're good. Yep. Yeah. If LA get even one point, then Ottawa need three wins. To, Bam. To not finish last. I was glad to see Buffalo have more points than Ottawa's points possible, which is 70. So anyone that's above <laughs> 70 right now. Yeah. I think Buffalo is 72, so they can tank to their heart's content now. And they, they are. Uh, they sure are. Yeah, the, the greatest tank battle is down to Detroit with 70, New Jersey 68, LA 67, and Ottawa, with, whose pit goes to Colorado, 62. It is amazing that LA, New Jersey, and Detroit have all won their fair share of games because you would think one of them would have committed to the tank. and Because with Ottawa winning a decent amount of games lately, they certainly could have passed somebody. And those other teams have 
every time there's an Ottawa win, one of those teams wins as well. So it's really kind of been miraculous. All four of those teams have gotten at least nine points in their last ten. Ottawa's yeah. got five wins. LA's got five wins and an OTL. New Jersey's got four wins and an OTL. Detroit's got six wins. I mean, I, do you think part of that is the fact that they've jiggered around with the the um, percentages for winning the first pick, and, and teams are really like, you know, there's no point in tanking. We, you know, whether we finish second, third, or fourth, it's pretty much even money. I I don't think so because the way the lottery is. Let's say you finish second or third last, you potentially could move back three spots. And like we saw with Arizona a couple years ago, they were terrible the whole year. They ended up like Picking third fourth. last, and then they picked seventh. Like there is a big difference in that range. So, right. Well, you can finish last price. and pick fourth. I know this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes there's no justice. And, <laughs> I, I, and we are very aware that Ottawa. Could do that too but like you know fourth is still pretty good but when yeah. you're getting into sixth and seventh that changes things quite a bit and i'm surprised that those teams aren't trying to secure it a little bit better i mean i guess what i'm saying is that like you look at first as fourth and you know third is seventh or whatever and it's you're just looking there's at a it big like, difference we're going to be in the middle of the first round and you know, if if we get extremely lucky, lucky, maybe we're going to be in the top three, but it's not something you can count on if you're down there. So, it's just one of those things to me where I think that we act like tanking is a little bit easier to do than it really is. Because sure, I mean your your players yeah. are still out there playing for their own careers. They're just they're still trying to win hockey games. So you, yeah, I mean, tanking got, is something that really management does more than the right. players. You have to shut down players who are, you know, a, a, maybe not unplayably injured, but you're going to set them for for later, like the Lakers set, shutting down LeBron James. You've got yeah. um, you have to do things like start the the game with an ineligible player because you didn't put him on your roster, right? Isn't that right, Bob Murray? <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Like you, yeah, no, I agree. It's easier said than done. But there are teams that are very good at it, a.k.a. Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo's not, though. <laughs> they started out They're too They're getting close, though. <laughs> if Buffalo gets the second pick again this year. <laughs> I am scared about Buffalo or Edmonton winning, like, any of the lottery spots. They're so good at it. You know what's crazy? <laughs> is Ed- I don't think Edmonton's been eliminated yet. No, they haven't. I think they're, they're they're hanging on by one point. They have 77 points. Yeah, they're right behind. I mean, tragic number or whatever. Yeah. I think it's one. I think it's down to one now. They have, they have 77 points, which means that with four games left, their max is 85. Yeah. And if they got there with four regulation wins, then they're in the playoffs. Assuming that Colorado loses all their games... Arizona and Minnesota end in regulation and lose all their other games. <laughs> Pretty much. That's where you get the 0.05% chance or whatever. <laughs> it's not over till it's over. But Anaheim and Los Angeles are done. What's good about the Avalanche situation, though, is that even though they're in the playoffs and still have a really nice position in the tank race. They don't need that to add an impact player very soon. 
um, because of our good friend Kale McCarr, who I believe is into the Frozen Four now. Yeah, he sure is. So, um, what's the latest yeah, on the car watch? <clears throat> he had a whale of a weekend at NCAA Regionals in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, UMass didn't give up a goal against Harvard or Notre Dame. Obviously, all because and of so Kale Carr's defensive prowess. Of course, and, and his many other talents as well. And they will be off to Buffalo in two weeks to compete for the national title with three other teams. And they, their first matchup will be with the University of Denver on a week from Thursday. And so I can tell be- you who I'm not rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be fun. Um, <clears throat> but that does mean that uh, the earliest that, that we would see him would be sometime in the playoffs if the Avs end up making it. That first game is is a little bit early. I thought the 11th is a Thursday. I thought it was solidly in that weekend. So yeah. if if they do lose, happen to lose to DU, he could be available that Thursday, which I believe the playoffs would either start Wednesday or Thursday. So there could be some time for Makar to join the Avs in the playoffs. And then the championship game would be on Saturday on the 13th, but that's still fairly early in a playoff series, probably game two. So if the Avs really want to bring him in. Earliest, I think the earliest that we would see him would be for the, whatever the Avs first home game would be, which would yeah, be game like three, three or four. They're going to yeah, start on the yeah. road. I don't think that they could take him to Calgary just because of like, <laughs> you know, work paperwork and stuff. So. Although he's a he's a native of Calgary, so I don't know. <laughs> Is he That's a Canadian? True. Oh, so he's yeah, going to he... get a visa then. Yeah. yeah, they got all kinds of paperwork. Oh boy! They, so yeah, with with all that going on, they may not see him at all, even if he's out on Thursday. I bet they're already working on all that. Oh sure, I, but I that think they've got it. Going to get settled. done immediately. Matt Duchesne got one in one day because of some. They flew in his, the Blue Jackets flew in his paperwork. But anyway, but that is another good storyline. The native from Calgary playing against the Avs and, or playing for the Avs in the playoffs against Calgary. I hope he's not playing against the Avs. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. But um, yeah, he he's definitely, uh, the hype train is rolling towards what is a pretty probable Hobie Baker win at this point. He's just getting all the accolades along the way. I didn't even know awards for the regionals. Of course, he won all those. Um, say that sentence again. Most there's, outstanding there's a, player. There's a little, little bit of a cut there. Say, that, say what you just oh, said okay. again. It said he won all the awards for the regionals, which I didn't even know. There was awards for the regionals, but he won them. What are they? Like, did he win best for um, the all re- what is it regionals team where they pick like all two regional defense- team, yeah yeah two defensemen three forwards and a goaltender but then he also won most outstanding player for the all regionals so so that's two awards there and um, should get news this week that he's top three for the Hobie Baker I think that comes out on Thursday and then. They'll announce it on the twelfth. I don't see there's any way he's not winning now. I th- I Is didn't think he had close? a. No, I think uh, 
who he played in the first game against Harvard, Adam Fox, is another high-scoring defenseman. I, I think if Fox had had an amazing day and McCarr didn't, and then Harvard had won, there might have been a little question there, but I don't even think any other finalist is still playing. So okay. I think I think McCarr's got it now, but it was great to see him. He uh he played really well offensively and defensively, scored a big goal in the second game, had a great assist in the first game. Uh he made us a lot of good defensive plays against Harvard, who was more of an offensive team. Notre Dame was they just killed him with their speed. So yeah, Notre Notre Dame is like playing them the Minnesota wild of the NCAA. <laughs> so it was good to see all the facets of McCarr's game. And he definitely looks ready to impact the NHL. Just a matter of time. I guess selfishly, I would like to see him in the playoffs. I think, I think he, if they play him and they give him actual minutes, I think he could make a difference. They won't. And I think he'll be the seventh team. We all know it. I don't, I mean, if they're burning a contract year and exposing him, in the expansion draft to play him. Like, they're not going to play him for five minutes. That's a lot of faith. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's faith. Like, follow the money. <laughs> um, but we'll see if they make that decision. Kale McCarr, obviously not the only NCAA prospect the Avalanche have had their eye on. We got news earlier this week that Shane Bowers would be staying in college for next season. Wait a minute. Turns out that's maybe not true. Okay, now he signed with the Avalanche. So That, that was weird. an exciting <laughs> turn of events. So yeah, Shane Bowers has signed his ELC for next season. He's on an ATO with the Eagles now. I don't, I'm not sure when he starts playing games for them, but what's... Uh, What's the future look like for Shane Bowers and the Eagles' playoffs run of their own? Well, he, he's he's still in Boston, or was when he signed his contract on Friday. So hopefully he reports to the Eagles early this week. Um, the Eagles have four games left in the next two weeks, and they're against very tough opponents. They don't score much, and they could really use some help there and probably some help defensively, which he could also help them with. So... He could yeah, be a pretty key piece. The Eagles don't play till Saturday, so that's m more than enough time to practice and get ready. So I would definitely expect to see him playing on Saturday. We'll see. We'll see what kind of line they trust him on. Um, but like Earl said, they could certainly use some help, so I hope they look for it as something that can help them rather than something the organization's making them do. So, um, <laughs> but as far as him signing, it, it seemed like a lot had to do with a lot of players left BU and signed. So he was kind of the last one that decided to leave. So um, the others had signed on Monday. Like Fabro was a few days later, but he got the, the burned year and the NHL promise. So stuff like that takes a little bit longer. But then Bowers uh, was officially signed on Friday. So, you know, we talked about this last week, kind of the pros and cons of it. I, I still think this is a good decision, especially with everyone leaving. Like 
you can kind of understand a group of guys want to stick together and try to go for a championship. But when everyone's leaving and you don't really know the quality of the program and selfishly, it'll be nice to have them playing in Colorado. So we'll see. I I never really lost faith that he was going to actually sign. I mean, I, I, you know, I realize it's, it's tough for a young man to sort of, you know, leave your friends and, and go off into the the cruel world. Um, but it just it didn't make a lot of sense because you knew some of the guys that were leaving and probably, you know, the, the guys that were leaving were a huge part of, of the team. So, yeah, you kind of got the, um, got the sense that Shane Bowers walked into that locker room on about Thursday-ish like Will Smith and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the empty room. Just like, uh, I'm, I'm all alone yeah. here. <laughs> Well, and it's, you know, I, I've made it known that I, I wasn't very impressed with their, their coaching staff. And then there was a rumor that one of the assistants was fired this week, and apparently he's not. But, you know, that's not good. I'm not impressed with their head coach much. I just, you know, I, I just I don't think that's a program that's that's sort of on the rise right now. I think once David Quinn left last year to go coach the Rangers, that they've been sort of set also- for a bit of a fall. I also think their director of operations or something resigned. So there's certainly things going on there. And I I like the idea of him playing at the end of the year, the whole important big games thing. And if the Eagles can make the playoffs, I think that will help give him a leg up in the fall. We probably don't expect him to make the team, but I think already having AHL experience under your belt is a big help when looking towards next year and maybe how much AHL time he'll need and things like that. It is for sure, especially when, when you're looking at, in, at an NCAA player. Like We talk a lot about NCAA players in their first pro season just kind of hitting that wall around mid-January. Like, holy shit, this is a lot of, of, of work and like physically just very difficult, not what you're used to with your conditioning and stuff. So hopefully getting in toward the end of the season as an NCAA player gives you that opportunity to kind of see, you know, here's what it's going to take to make it all the way to April. So start working now. And, yeah, and it's, it's a, it's a lot different than when we, we signed Kerfoot and Toninato a couple of years ago in that, you know, we signed them right after the August 15th deadline for seniors uh, to become free agents. Um, being able to have Bowers, you know, sort of get the the training staff able to line them out with programs, you know, starting in April or May is going to, it's going to prepare him a lot better for what he's going to have to go through next season. So, yeah, you wonder if they pair him up with McCarr and maybe Henry or any of the others that may or may not sign and kind of have a little summer workout group. Yeah. And I mean, we know that Bowers has worked out with McKinnon and, various people from the maritime provinces during the summer over the past couple of years. So, I mean, it's, you know, even when he's not in Denver, uh, he's working out with, with Crosby and McKinnon and then, you know, he's going to be getting his reps in. Yeah. That's good stuff too. And the Eagles specifically, they're in a playoff spot now, but they're going to need to put some wins together to keep that. And it was funny when they played the, Arizona affiliate and literally the exact same thing happened that they blew a two goal lead, but they ended up winning in a shootout. (laughs) Just unfortunately they lost the next night. So don't do that. Avs. 
<laughs> well, we just talked about how they're in, it, no, the Avs next night is just like the most losable game of the week, so. <laughs> at, at, at least it won't point, be to Arizona. Yeah, at, at that point, it will Bonus. be their game in hand. So, if you lose that one and you haven't really lost anything, you just have lost an opportunity, and that's about all. So. Uh, yeah, the. <clears throat> The Eagles have four games left. Um, their magic number is 10, so they don't control their own destiny. Um, they're battling with Tucson and San Diego for the last two spots in the Pacific Division. Um, it's it's going to be tough because Tucson has two more games in hand. San Diego has one. Um, Aren't there a lot of San Diego players with the Ducks? There yeah. should be. And they've they're, they've been the worst out of the three teams lately. So I mean that's encouraging. So that, that their their magic number compared to um, San Diego is eleven. Um, so you know maybe that's maybe that's easier than than trying to stay ahead of Tucson. But um, you know it, it's probably going to come down to the last weekend, uh, which yeah, is they... you know kind of the best way to have it. Sure is. I think. I think the Eagles will be okay, but they are also a tougher team to handicap because they don't really score. They have a terrible power play. They so don't score. You just can't. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> it's tough to count on that. They had been playing well. They they had a, a winning streak that put them in that position, and then they get good goaltending from Fransuz, and when the vets play well, they can play decent defensively, but it's, um, I guess something we wanted to touch on that we haven't yet is that they've been missing Andrea Gazzino and this last weekend would have been a really nice time to have him not eat nachos at Denver and help the Eagles try to score goals and win games. Yeah. And at this point, Agazino has played 11 games since he cleared waivers. So he is, waiver eligible again so the Evs would have to put him through waivers which I, you know it's unlikely anyone would claim him but it's not you know it's just it's adding a day to when you make yeah. your decision to when he can go down so it's not like they could have just said okay Saturday night you go play with the Eagles right but they could have decided it on Thursday when they knew yep. like they knew Landis Cog was playing by or Thursday. They could have so. sent him through waivers last week and not sent him down because you can do that. Yeah, that too. Right, like the worry <laughs> with that is not that he would get claimed, it's just it's another step. It's it's another. It's more paperwork. It's getting the facts out. You know, the funny thing is, is other than Dano, they have not waived anybody this entire year. Which I think <laughs> I find is remarkable. Like, they don't Billington like must people. super proud of that. They managed to get through a whole year and they didn't even have to waive anybody. Except well, they're the going to have to wave Agazino at some point. <laughs> but um, it, it is just disappointing that, you know, we always hear about they want to take care of the Eagles. They care about them winning. That's why they made the McCormick trade, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the guy that will move the needle the most, they couldn't figure out a way to get him to play in the biggest game of the year. And that's disappointing. And they did have Mark Barbario this weekend because he was down there on a conditioning load. And how'd that go? It went okay. I, I would say he was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 
I don't think he was terrible, but I mean, for you know, a, a player that hasn't played in the AHL in two years, he didn't look out of place, let's say. Um, well, just screwing up as much as like Lindholm and stuff, sure. I mean, I mean he hasn't him... played in a game in a long time, so yeah, I mean, no, 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 he's I get be that. Rusty. I get that, that he's that that's part of the problem, even though he kind of did look how he looked with the Avs when he was playing and it didn't go well, but sure, I. I'm not going to put it all on him, but then again, like, you know, we were excited, even me included, thinking like, hey, it's the biggest weekend of the year. It's cool that now you have an NHL defenseman to help you. And then you just remember that usually NHLers going to the AHL is a bad thing. It's just they're not used to playing at that level. You also have to worry about the care level, which... Barbary was on conditioning. I'm sure his care level was fine, but it's just all these things add up, and I think he was a net negative, and that's unfortunate. Well, he assisted on one of their five goals. <laughs> <laughs> I think he assisted on a few other goals too. Uh, let's uh, let's run away from that conversation then. Uh, let's. But let's... he has been called up. He has. But he the Avs did call him up today, so we'll see yeah. if he. Uh, he plays for the Avs. Probably not, but he'll be available. Yeah. The, the the net effect is that he went down there, he got his conditioning in, so he's ready for them to use if they absolutely have to, which we hope they don't. Right. Yeah. And they still have graves, so they really shouldn't have to. And maybe Makar. Maybe Makar. Well, in uh, in lieu of stars and scratches this week, I want to wrap the show up with some predictions instead. Um, Carl Soderberg has 47 points. Will he reach 50? Yes. No. He just hasn't, ever since Eichel killed him, he's been a little... He's definitely not, lower he's gear. a little funny. In lower gear. He's definitely say. not got a concussion, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I think, it, it depends. If they keep Gabe on his line, and they, you know, the, they sort of... Three wo- points... In four games, though? I mean, he could maybe get a point, but three points in four games? I'm going <laughs> to say no. <laughs> um, I, I think if, he's, if if Gabe sticks on that line and the the staff kind of liked what they saw with, with he and, and Broussard on the second power play unit, that he'll, he'll just he'll barely get it. Tyson Berry has 56. Chances of reaching 60. No. 30%. Looking probably not on that one. If Miko Rantanen is back on Monday, does his 87 points become 90? Yes. yes. But he won't be. But he won't be. I know. He won't um, be. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the big one here is Nathan McKinnon, who's sitting on 95 with 78 games played. Well done there. I think that there's maybe five Avs that have played every game this year, and he's one of them. Does he hit the century mark? Yeah, I mean, that this is I something that so. I'm looking for. He needs that 40th goal and five points for 100, and I think that's really super unfinished business for him. So I think he can get 40. I'm going to say no on the 100. I I mean... 40 is one goal. I mean, that's, that's not right. a yeah. whole lot. Well, it's you know, it's like when you're getting to a, sort of a, a a milestone you haven't reached before, you know, the stick might be gripped a bit 
tighter or something like that. But but Miku um, got thirty, Landy got thirty. I think he can get forty. Yeah, but the the hundred is the toughie. Five and four games. I mean, that's um, that's less than his. He, cer- he certainly could do yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think if he doesn't, there's there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's not like with 99. him. It's with the Avs not being in the playoffs. Because if he doesn't get five points in the next four games, oh, um, I think Avs I said earlier trouble. that them getting the playoffs was a contingent on Mac and Miko scoring a hundred. So that could be an interesting wrinkle there. The four. Oh, we forgot players, to mention, by the way, who played all seventy-eight games this season: Nathan I, McKinnon, Carl Soderberg, Matt Calvert, Sam Girard. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to mention because we didn't have stars and scratches, but Landy was great in his return, and he scored his 70th point on that assist, and that's the first time he's hit 70 points in his career. Yay, yay. That's still better than a point a game for him. Which I believe he's never done. Will likely never do again. <laughs> you have little faith. So the big prediction is still sitting there and it's not player points it's playoffs yes or no they're in a they're in a good position but we see who there's who's on their schedule yes i see yes i think it's too hard for them to fuck this up at this point pretty much they'll try but it, it, they'll just they'll yeah. get in anyway <laughs> they'll try but they'll get in anyway and then <laughs> the, the last prediction for today is will game 82 matter no. I'm going to say no. That it might it might matter starting that day, but I think after what happens, yeah. That by the time they get to that game it won't matter. All right. Yeah, it might be an ex post facto thing while during the game they find out it doesn't matter, but <laughs> Nathan McKinnon doesn't take another shift. <laughs> No, he's got to get his hundred. He better be out there. One going into that game, trust me. Yeah, he'll get a hat trick against Edmonton, and we'll we'll be Gucci. That worked too. So we're all feel. I mean, even though we're sitting here looking at how the Avs have won these last few games, like kind of scratching our our heads and and gripping it a little bit, we're, we're around the room. We're all pretty happy about the Avalanche position. Um, with just four to play, they need five to six points, depending on what happens with this stupid Minnesota-Arizona game that's going to start in about a half hour that, I mean, I, I don't know if I hate myself enough to watch it or not. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I I asked them to so just crazy. pick a direction, like either win or don't win, and they've been winning, so... Yeah, they sure have. I, I'm well glad that... Right, and I'm glad that they've done it by you know, winning, getting points. It does make you feel better about them. Yeah. Just being in this position, basically. They haven't just lost I mean, it doesn't look like a sustainable teams. way to win, but they they <laughs> seem to have been able to sustain winning that way for some god-awful reason. It's not a sustainable way to win, but you know what's a sustainable <laughs> way to lose is exactly what their opponents are doing in Minnesota yeah. and Arizona. So yep. take that. But our next show will... Very probably be a playoff preview episode about the Avalanche and Calgary Flames first round matchup. But if it's not, we'll be here with your long form season ending postmortem. Um, 
really hoping that it's not that one, but I think all of us are reasonably comfortable saying it shouldn't be that one. But if it is, you know where you can find it, but hopefully next week playoff preview on soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio at burgundyrainbow.com, which has a hyphen in the middle of it. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yes. It didn't used to for a while, but now it does. Um, and then on the Discord and everywhere else that you can find us. Real big week, obviously. It's a little bit of an understatement. I think the biggest game has already been played and the Avalanche won it, so we'll, we'll keep our heads up and we'll get to the, to, to the dirty areas and we will see you um, on the other side of whatever happens this week. Turn the light back on! Rude. Thank you. Okay, sorry. All, all of a sudden, there was this strange lady in here stealing things from my wallet. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs>